right, Beruchim and Imseim Rabotai. Welcome to another edition of our uh, special special meeting that we have here on Monday nights at Oil Yaakov, where we try to reveal some of the secrets of the Torah. Now, I will apologize uh, at the onset that I'm still on Israeli time. Uh, my watch has me seven hours forward which is uh, about 3 o'clock in the morning. Yes. So uh, <laughs> if I fall asleep in the middle of the class, don't wake me up. <laughs> <laughs> I consider what I'm going to do tonight a, uh, a postscript of a, uh, a very memorable event that happened when I was in the Holy Land. I'm glad Mr. Mann is here because he can testify to a very magical moment uh, that we had when we spent a day in the uh, Shomron region, a.k.a. the West Bank. And uh, one of the highlights of the trip was is that we were introduced to a, I will say a Sadiq, but he calls himself a farmer uh, by the name of Ira. And he explained to us how he is uh, living through the year of Shemitah. This year in Israel, it's a sabbatical year. And it's the closest I ever came to a religious Jew that is uh, struggling happily with the challenges that Shemitah poses. Uh, You gentlemen are businessmen. Imagine we told you that you can have a store and sell product for six years, and then for one year, you just have to leave the store closed, or better yet, leave it open, let anybody come in and take whatever they want. And you still have to pay your bills that year, by the way, and you still have to support your family. You could imagine it is a great, great halachic challenge. And I didn't think it was a coincidence that we met uh, somebody that's living through Shemitah. And uh, it's actually the theme of the parashah that we just read, parashat Bihar. So I'd like to just go through the text a little. Because it forced me, after that event, I went back to the text. And I wanted to learn the parashah Bi'ayun. And try to understand how to read these pesukim. You can take a homash, by the way, we have them. Uh, it'll be to your benefit if you uh, read with me so you can understand uh, the issues that I'd like to raise tonight. We have Homashim. You don't need a Mikrat Gidilot, just a regular art scroll. Perashat Behar. And. We're in business, sir. So we'll start right uh, from the beginning. Ve'dabir Adonai el Moshe behar Sinai lemor. So God speaks to Moshe at Mount Sinai, saying, "Dabir el Bnei Yisrael, speak to Bnei Yisrael, ve'amarta alehem, and you shall say to them, 'Ki tavo el ha'aris, when you will go to the land.'" Asher aninoten lachem that I will give you, the Shabbat Ladonai, 
and the land will uh, take a sabbatical. Shabbat Hashem. Sabbatical for God. Shesh shanim tizrach sadecha, six years you shall plant, v'shesh shanim tizmor, in six years you should prune, karmecha, your vineyards, v'asavta et tevuata, and you will collect the yield, the product. V'bashana shivirit, in the seventh year, shabbat shabbaton yehiyeh la'ares, it'll be again a year of cessation of work. Shabbat lahashem, a sabbatical to God, sadechalo tizrach, there is no planting, karmechalo tizmor, there is no pruning. Sifiyah ketzirechalo tiksor, in the bin ezirechalo tipsor, shenat shabbaton yelaaris. Vahayeta shabbat haaris lachem, and the sabbatical year will be to you, leochla, for eating, lecha, ulabdecha, velamatecha, velishirecha, ultoshabbecha, gerimach, for all those that are living with you. Velebhemtecha, to your animals, all the wheat will be le'echol to eat. That's the text. I have so many questions that I don't know where to begin. Again, no Kabbalah tonight, gentlemen. Just Peshuto Shil Mekra. First of all, you're introducing to me the laws of Shemitah. I accept. Why the mention of Har Sinai? I mean, Har Sinai, we know everything comes from Har Sinai. All the 613 mitzvot come from Har Sinai. Shemitah also came from Har Sinai. Now, whenever the Torah introduces a law, it doesn't say, and God spoke to the people at Har Sinai, keep Shabbat. And God spoke to the people at Har Sinai and uh, eat Matzah and Pesach. No, that is already known that the Torah was given Har Sinai. But all of a sudden in Shemitah, the Torah introduces it by telling us, and God spoke to Moshe at Har Sinai. And Rashi, in the famous uh, line that's used even outside of this context, says, Ma inyan Shemitah etzel Har Sinai. You know, well, what's the connection between Shemitah? Look at the first Rashi. Ma inyan Shemitah etzel Har Sinai. Even today in Yeshiva, when somebody will say something that's out of order, has no relevance to what the subject is. They'll say, that's to become the, 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 the quip that we use to tell somebody, what are you talking about? There's no connection. So that she over here comes along and he says that you have to know that uh, just like all the mitzvot were given at Sinai, uh, at Sinai, we were given not only the, the main laws, but we were also given the, the details. So, so too over here. Uh, Just like the laws of Shemitah were given the general rule and all the details of Sinai, so too let this be a lesson that all the laws were given also in generality with all its details at Har Sinai. So that she says, he's quoting from the Midrash. That we learn from Shemitah is the Binyan Av. That's the, the model that we learn how the whole Torah was given. Just like Shemitah is one mitzvah that was given with all its details, not only the general rules, so all the mitzvot were given like that. But that really doesn't answer the question, why did the Torah decide to tell me that rule by Shemitah? Har Sinai. 
דבר אל בני ישראל, speak to בני ישראל ואמרת עליהם. Don't you find that to be a double language? Speak, דבר אל בני ישראל ואמרת עליהם. Why the double language? דבר אל בני ישראל, or אמור להם. Why the double language? Well, to that I found an immediate answer. If you look at the interpretation of Orachim HaKadosh, he says that anytime you see the word דבר, it's always לשון קשה. It's a strong language. It's something that's difficult. Dibur. Whenever you use the word ve'amarta or lemor, that's lashon raka. That's something that represents something that is soft, something that is easy. So says the Rab, shemitah has in it something that's difficult and has something that is easy. There's a daber element and there's a ve'amarta element. And what is that? The Dabir element is, you got to let the land grow fallow and you can't work for a year. Now, if you're a farmer, that's a Dabir. Tell a guy that's working and finally getting some yield, and then all of a sudden you tell him, stop, you can't work for the whole year, that is Dabir. However, there's a Va'amarta, there's a silver lining. Because the Torah also says that all the fields in Eretz Israel become ownerless. And therefore, anybody can go into anybody's field and take <coughs> whatever they want. So therefore, in that sense, that, like the Orah HaMakadosh says, that his hand can go into anybody's field and take what he needs. So therefore, that he's satisfied to know that although he might not be able to work, but he can go to the surrounding areas and take what he needs, as well as everybody else. So there's a Daber and there's a Ve'amarta. Another explanation, he says, is that there's a silver lining to Shemitah because God says if you keep the laws of Shemitah, you will benefit, the land of Israel will be yours as a gift. So therefore, if somebody comes along and says, I got to want to give you a gift. So okay, what is it? A great gift, very, very expensive item, but there's some uh, conditions that are attached to it. So okay, what are the conditions? You got to do A, B, C. But at the end of the day, you're getting a gift. So therefore, although there's a daber to the laws of Shemitah, there's a ve'amarta alehem, you're going to get something for it. What are you going to get for it? In the land of Israel. Could you get a better uh, gift than that? So albeit, the conditions might be difficult. That's the daber. But the reward is, you're going to have, you're going to become the inhabitants and the sole proprietors of the land of Israel. And we know that when they didn't keep the Shemitah, they would lose their rights to Israel. So therefore, Ve'amartalim is the, the gift. Keep the law, and you'll get something for it. And that's the way Torah HaMakadosh answers. He gives actually a third answer, and he says, and as we're going to learn that, the farmers received the blessing, that in the sixth year they received a triple yield, Enough for the sixth, for the seventh, and start up year the eighth. So therefore, although I'm telling you to keep the law of Shemitah, and it's quite difficult, tell them there's a silver lining, that they're not going to lose out. There's going to be a triple blessing that's going to uh, benefit them when it comes towards the end of the cycle. Okay, that answers the double language. I have no problem. You'll come to the land that I'm going to give you. What does that mean? And the land... Sonny, how does it say it in the English? Well, in the Yeah, uh, bet. End of bet. Good. 
this to them, when you come into the land that I give you, the land shall observe a Sabbath, rest for Hashem. Beautiful. The land shall observe a Sabbath. A.K.A. Shemitah sabbatical year. That's not so, by the way. When you come into the land, you're not keeping a sabbatical when you come into the land. The first thing you're going to do is work for six years. The sabbatical doesn't come until after the six years. So it's out of order. If I was writing the Pasuk, I would say, it's when you come into the land, six years work, and after the six years, then the seventh year, take a break. But here the Torah is out of order. Torah says you'll come into the land of Israel, and you know what it is? That's not so. When they came into the land, they didn't have an automatic Shemitah that year. They had to work for six. And, and then the Torah does, says it. After the Shemitah. It's out of order. And then it says, uh, finally, if you look at Pasuk Vav. And here's where all the Rishonim struggle to explain this Pasuk. Shabbat Ha'aris Lachem. Shabbat Ha'aris means, we'll call it the sabbatical year of the land, will be to you. Le'ochla. For eating. Who's going to eat? You'll eat. Your servants will eat. Your maidservants will eat. Your hired worker will eat. The inhabitant, Toshavecha, Garim Imach. The animals will eat. Le'echol. Hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it. In the seventh year, you're not planting and you're not producing anything. So what does it mean when it says, oh, when you come to Shabbat Ha'ares, it will be le'ochla. Le'ochla what? There's nothing. There's nothing there to eat. So, but that, that the Torah doesn't introduce until later on. Here in this pasuk, it's telling us, that you'll have Shabbat Ha'aris, lachem le'ochla. And who's going to eat? All your, your family. And then it repeats it again. So the Rambam has to explain what are you eating over here. So he says that even though you're not working the land, the land is still producing. The land is still going to produce, uh, you know, from the seeds that you planted already in the sixth year. So the way that Amban understands it, the land that is laying rest, you will eat from that. Meaning you will not eat from any of your work because you can't work. Your food will come from Shabbat from the fact that the land rests and the land produces food by itself, whatever the land produces that year, that will be le'ochla. So you have, to, you have to finesse the pasuk a little. So again, Ramban, Vayeta Shabbat Ha'ares, you will eat from not Avodat Ha'ares, because normally you eat from Avodat Ha'ares, you eat from the work of the land. The seventh year you're going to eat from the cessation of work of the land. Which means the land still produces, it still grows, it's still, exactly, nature doesn't stop in the, in the seventh year, 
you might not be able to work, but the sun still shines, the rain still falls, the land's still going to produce, so therefore you will eat from the cessation of work. That's the Ramban's interpretation. Rashi has a different interpretation. He learns that, we have it right in front of us, we might as well read it, Rabotai. Shabbat ha'aretz lachem le'ochla min ha'shabut at... Hey, Shabbat. David, this is for you. Min ha'shabut ata ochel v'i ata ochel min ha'shamur. He learns Shabbat ha'aretz doesn't mean the land that is laying fallow or the cessation, but he learns Shabbat ha'aretz from the land that is uh, unprotected. Because during the Shemitah year, you got to take the fences down. You got to open the doors. You have to let everybody come in. So therefore, your eating will be from the land that is Shabut, the land that is unprotected, the land that is open. That means you will eat from the Hefker, Velomena Shamur. Fine. But again, I still find it, uh, you know, uh, interesting that. The, the year of Shemitah that the Torah talks about your eating is in the year where you have the least eating. Which means if, if there's any year of the cycle that you're going to eat, it's the first six. And the Torah doesn't say anything about that. It just says work for six years. And when are you going to eat? In the seventh. It's counterintuitive. Really, you're going to eat a lot in the first six. In the seventh, you pray to God to hope that there's something left over. But the only time the Torah mentions you're going to eat, and it says it a few times, it says, Shabbat lachem le'ochla, kol le'echol. But if anything, that's the year where you have the least amount of goods. So, I will bring to you a, a novel interpretation that was brought by a rabbi called the Me'or Vashemesh. It's a, a big hadush what he says. He writes that one of the reasons why we keep Shemitah, this is a big discussion amongst the Rishonim, why we keep Shemitah, why would the Torah tell us to do this? Well, there has to be a logic behind it. So if you look at the Kliyakar, I have it in my, in, my, uh, in my sefer. I'll read you a little of his uh, commentary. The Kliyakar writes, what's the sword of Shemitah? And he says as follows, yeah, the Kliyakar. Right in the beginning, you see uh, one of the first ones. V'shavetah ha'aretz. Beta'am mitzvah zu. The reason for this mitzvah, yesh de'ot halukot. A couple of... Different opinions. Ki rabim omrim, many say, shehata'am hu sheteshpot ha'aretz, kedesh shetosif tet koha lezrawah. The reason why we keep Shemitah is because if you know anything about agriculture, the botanists will tell you, you got to give the land a break. You can't just plant and reap every single year. The land needs time to recuperate and to regenerate itself. 
And therefore, you got to go every seventh year, rest the land in order that in the subsequent years, it'll continue to produce. Wow, sounds like a very secular reason. You know, this doesn't sound like any religious, uh, you know, item. It just sounds like over here, that if, you're, if you go to Harvard School of Agriculture, they're going to tell you, listen, you know, if you want the, the land to produce, uh, logic is going to tell you, based on science, that you got to give it a break every seven years. And that's what the Torah is telling you. And who subscribes to that opinion? None other than the rabbi that's called the Moreh. The Moreh is the Moreh Nebuchim, which is the... Opinion of Harambam. And the Kliyakar writes, Veledeazunata harav hamore. Just the more nebuchim. Verabim holkim alav. A lot of the rabbis take are at odds with the Rambam. Why? Number one is because it sounds like from the text it's a religious mitzvah, not a Secular, because what does the Torah say? It sounds like the Shemitah is for God. Shabbat Lashem. According to Harambam, it's got to do with Lashem. It's not a religious item. It's got to do with yield and product. Which means this is, they were teaching this in the, in the war in school of agriculture. They were teaching it's a good, it's good business. That's not Shabbat Lashem. This sounds like it's coming from a professor. And therefore the Kliyakar says, I don't know how the Rambam is going to learn the words Shabbat Lahashem. Second question he asks. He says, and what's going to be the punishment if somebody that doesn't keep Shemitah? Let's say you have somebody that says, you know what? I figured out a way to reorganize the field where I can work seven years. And I'll still figure out a way to produce product. He wants to bypass the Torah's advice. So the Torah says, ah, you want to bypass our advice? You're going to get kicked out of the land. You're going to go into exile. Says the Kliyakar, why should that be the punishment? You know what the punishment should be? The land won't produce. If the whole purpose of Shemitah is to give the land strength to produce, so the punishment should be, and if you don't keep it, guess what? All your uh, machinations and all your tricks to work seven years and still try to bypass the Torah's rule, guess what? If you don't follow the Torah's rule, it's not going to produce. But that doesn't doesn't say that. Torah says, oh, you're not going to keep Shemitah? Arrivederci. That's uh, Italian. They're going to kick you out. They're going to kick you out. So why should that be the punishment? Thirdly, the Kliyakar. Kliyakar does not like the Rambam's opinion. The third question he says is, and what's going to happen? Torah says the Goyim are going to move into the land of Israel, and finally the land will rest. The land, all those years that the land wasn't resting, finally when they come into Israel, says the land will rest. Says, what do you mean the land will rest? You think the Goyim are going to keep Shemitah? The Goyim are not keeping Shemitah either. Yom They're going to work. Seven years, they're going to work 70 years. They're not going to stop day and night. So how is the land going to get a rest? By kicking us out and putting bigger workaholics than us into the land. So therefore he puts the Rambam's more opinion on the side. Fine. Again, I'm not coming tonight to defend Harambam. I'm sure we can spend a lot of time defending it. I'm just relating to you the way the Kliyakar approaches the Rambam. And then he brings 
another reason. He comes along and he says, from a rabbi called the Akedat Yitzhak. Akedat Yitzhak is a Seferadi rabbi, one of ours, American League, from Spain. Rabbi Yitzhak Arama. Rabbi Yitzhak Arama says the following. He says that Takhlit Mitzvah Zu, the purpose of this Mitzvah, Liskor Hidush Olam, to remember that this world just didn't happen by itself. That there's a creator to the world. And Bore Olam created the world in six days. And on the seventh day, Bore Olam rested. And therefore, we follow the same uh, protocol. We work for six years. And then in the seventh year, it's called the Shabbat. And we take a break. And the father will come to the realization that where is this formula? Six and one. Oh, that's the formula of the creator. He worked for six days and then he rested on the seventh. And that's the Inyan of Shemitah. Very nice. At least that answers Shabbat la Hashem. It's a religious item. It's to bring you to the belief in the creator of the world. And we understand why the seventh year is called Shabbat. Because it's like the Shabbat. But says the Kliyakar, hold it. You need a commemoration every seven years. We have this every week. <laughs> I mean, it, it, if, if doing this every week is not going to bring you to this understanding, then certainly every seven years is not going to help. Which means we do this 52 times a year. Six days, take a day off. And therefore, you need a, a, a remembrance in the seventh year. It, it, it's what he calls Yehuda v'od lekra. It's superfluous. It's extra. It's not going to serve any better purpose than the Shabbat is doing for you already, the weekly one. And therefore, what do you need another one every seven years when you're doing it every week? So he puts that on the side as well. And then he comes along with his approach. And his approach is... Something beautiful. Although I really came to tell you tonight, but we'll get to that. And I cannot neglect the beautiful Kliyakar. In order to solve some of the observations that we made in the text, says I, Shita mitzvazu. להשריש את ישראל במידת האמונה והביטחון בהשם. You know what Shemitah is all about? Emuna and Bitahon. Putting your faith and your trust in God. Now we've heard this before. Yeah, sure, the farmers that keep Shemitah, they got to have a lot of trust. Now we always understood what's the trust. What am I going to eat in the seventh year? So in the seventh year, they got to turn to God and say, please, I'm putting my faith in you. You got to provide for me. And you got to hope that the man is going to fall from heaven during the seventh year or they're going to get some windfall profit. But he expounds on it and says much deeper. He writes like this. You know what God was concerned? We're living in the Midbar for 40 years and we're living a supernatural existence. We didn't eat bread in the Midbar 
The beracha on bread is hamotzi lechem mina'aretz. Bread is mina'aretz. Instead, we ate the man. And what's the beracha we made on the man? Hamotzi lechem minashamayim. Every single day, this is before Amazon Prime, before, you know, all these different delivery services. The food landed right at our doorstep, exactly what we needed, and it was also packaged properly. There was a layer of dew, D-E-W on the bottom, a layer of dew on the top, in order to keep it hermetically, you know, for the COVID, to keep it uh, uh, sealed. And everybody got exactly what they needed. You didn't have to worry about tomorrow. There was no storage. Every, and there was no waste on it. And therefore, for 40 years, if you ask somebody, where does Panasa come from? It was obvious. N- nobody thought for a minute that they had anything to do with making a living. They knew that making a living is 100% net God's business. <laughs> Could anybody come along and say, I, 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 I brought the man down? <laughs> you had no, no, no intervention whatsoever in the man. So in the Midbar, one thing was clear. Now, by the way, it's always like that. The problem is, when you're going to go into Eres Yisrael, it's now masqueraded in going to work and doing all the different avodot, the different agricultural chores that you must do, which is, you know, from the morning till the night working the field. And there, there's a chance to come along and say, Panasa me'iti. Where's the Panasa come from? God didn't plow the ground. God didn't do the planting. God didn't fertilize. God, well, maybe God irrigated, but I had to make the furrows. I had to make sure that the water goes to the field, doesn't flood. So I did all the work. Now, of course, a religious Jew will say, yeah, Hashem helps. Hashem helps, Baruch Hashem. Of course, we have to pray to God. But ultimately, we're partners. And therefore, a person could come along and make the grave mistake. And I say grave with a capital G. Where a person can come along and say, it was my prowess. It was my industrious behavior. It was my aggressiveness. It was my toil. Look at my hands. The sweat of my brow. And therefore a person might come along and make the great mistake and say, Panasa comes from me. And therefore God has to now train us. Don't lose the imunah that you had in the Midbar. God says nothing changes. Even though you are now involved in the process, but if anything, you're only getting in the way of the process. <laughs> if anything, you're disrupting the process. Uh, recently, we were in a strip that we were on now, we were by Rabbi Yaakov Elil, and it made him be well, and he gave us a, a, an ethical talk. And in the talk, he pointed out something that I think our members will appreciate, that... Again, not everybody, but a lot of people during the COVID lockdown, uh, they did not have a chance to go to their office and go to work in the conventional way. And they spent much less time in the uh, pursuit of Parnasa. And many people noticed that they received tremendous blessing. Uh, you speak to a lot of businessmen, oh, COVID was a blessing for us. You know, uh, 
whatever it was, less work, more result. And the Rav's uh, answer to that phenomenon was because uh, you weren't in the way. Which means, <laughs> you know, now God was able to bring the panasat to you without having you uh, ruin it. You know, once you took your hands out of the, uh, out of the process and you just trusted in God, so the better problems with COVID, so then you go back to work. And now, now already, you know, now God, now God has to deal with an inept worker that's there and, you know, to clean up all your mistakes. Which is an amazing concept that a person always has to recognize that it's all Hakadosh Baruch Hu. I've said, uh, uh, I've said uh, many times the following: it's, it's the human intervention that messes things up. I came to this realization once when I was on a uh, I was on a plane, and uh, it was a small plane. It was a private plane, and there's. Uh, Two pilots in the front, everything's open so you can see them riding the plane. And all of a sudden, in the middle of the flight, with 36,000 feet in the air, one of the pilots gets up to go to the bathroom. The other pilot gets up and is serving lunch. <laughs> so I'm, I'm saying to myself, what the world's going on over here? And then they tell me, no, you don't have to worry, it's on autopilot. And then the pilot mentioned to me that, by the way, it's the safest when we're not in the cockpit. <laughs> then you don't have to worry at all because it's all being run by the computer. You have to worry when the pilot gets out of the bathroom and goes back into the cockpit. So here he goes again. He might touch something wrong. He might uh, start messing it up. So therefore, it, w- 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 when the pilot goes to the bathroom, you can stop saying Tehili. And then, 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 then you know, you, once he goes back into the cockpit, well, here we go again. Then we got pr- pray that he doesn't touch the wrong button. That means the human intervention... It gets in the way. But that doesn't mean we can just sit home and do nothing. We got to go to work. So God now has to put in the system of agriculture that go to work, but I got to build it into your psyche that it's not you. So what does he do? So says the Kliyakar. He says, When they start to produce uh, uh, a nice yield, Yishkehu et Hashem. They're going to forget God. The Yasuru betchonam memenu, and they're going to lose their trust in Him. The Yahashvu. They're going to think ki kocham veotsim yadam asalahem et ha'ilazeh, and they're going to say olam kimin hagon noheg. They're going to think the world goes according to natural order. You plant, you plow, you get product. They're going to think the land is ours. Remember the old American song, this land is my land, this land is your land. And they're going to think that they're the landlords. So therefore, God says, I want you to work. Don't stay home. But I want you to work in a way that it will become so obvious to you that it's not you. How? Now the Kliyakar shows us he has some knowledge in agriculture. He says, in a six-year cycle, the way of the nations of the world, meaning not the Jews, they work for two years, and then the third year, they let it rest. I think in, in farming they call it, they rotate. But this is even more than rotating. 
they have to let the land take a break every third year. So therefore he says, uh, You don't want to weaken the, uh, the potency of the land. Now God, now if you're a regular farmer, that's what you would do. You would go into Eretz Yisrael, and you graduate agrarian school, and you come out with the following rule. Two years work, one year off, two years work, one year off, etc. And now God comes along and says, no. You must work for six years. The imunah is not only in the seventh year. The imunah is that you got to work for six years. Now you open up the book that you got from Harvard, and they tell you, if you're going to work for six years, you're going to be in bankruptcy. By the way, by year four, you'll be in bankruptcy. And therefore, it takes a lot of guts, religious guts, which is also synonymously called emunah and bitahon, to come along and say, what? This breaks every rule in the book. If you're going to keep on working consecutively for six years, year one, you'll have a good product, 100%. Year two, 100%. Year three, you'll have 50%. Year four, you'll be down to 30. Year five, you'll be down to 10. Year six, there's going to be nothing. You won't have to wait for Shemitah to have a Shemitah. They're not going to be a field. And therefore, the challenge of the Jew was to trust God when he says, work for six years. We never thought, if you ask most people, where's the emunah in Shemitah? Emunah is in year seven. Kliyakah says, no. Emunah is in the first six years. Because if you look at the way God commands it, he doesn't just say, keep Shemitah. He says, shesh shanim tizra. It sounds like that's part of the... Mitzvah, which means I want you to work for six years. And let's say the farmer says, I don't want to work for six years. Because I don't know, you have to. I don't want you to take off year three. I want you to take off year seven. And the farmer scratching and says, we're never going to get to year seven. So he says, And I promise you, God says, now, when the farm is doing that and he sees all the non-Jewish farmers following the laws of nature and they're all warning him, I don't know who's giving you advice, but it's not going to work. And the Jewish farmer, nonetheless, doesn't, he cannot come when he starts to see year one, 100, year two, 100, year three, 100, year four, 100. Now, can he come along and say, it's me? You broke every rule in the book. And still it's producing. Therefore, it's going to be obvious. obvious like it's the man. Just like nobody will take credit for the man, no farm will be able to take credit for what just took place. But then he says, the odnes betochnes. If that's not enough, there's going to be a miracle upon a miracle. Or within a miracle. Gam. Okay, now you get to the sixth year. What is it going to produce? A hundred. However, for sure, even if you accept, it's not going to get less. There's no way it's going to become more. Which is, by the way, it's a miracle that it made it to a hundred. 
by year six you should be at zero. The fact that it got to year six and you're at a hundred, you say, Yishtabach Shemur. But God says, no, I'm not done yet. I want to show you how much that you have nothing to do with this process. That even though you broke every rule in the book, something's going to happen in the sixth year that's going to blow you out of your mind. What is that? Tamar Adraba. On the contrary, Yosif lo koach kol There's going to be such a a, a, a vibrancy or a, a virility in the land. I will command my blessing. And all of a sudden you're going to have 300. Now when you start to see that, you say, what is going on over here? This is the man that comes on Friday where you get a double portion, but it's even better than the man. Because the man on Friday, you only got a double portion. Here on the sixth year, which is corresponding to the sixth day, you get a triple portion. Now, if you can't take credit for the man, then you cannot take credit for a triple yield in year six when it should be producing zero. Now wait. Says the Raven. This is where, when we met the great farmer in the Shomron region, we asked him, this is year seven. Tell us about the miracle that happened in year six. We want to hear the triple yield. And to our dismay, he said, I'm sorry to tell you, uh, for some reason maybe the earth was malfunctioning or something. Maybe the wires weren't connected. But uh, last year, although we got a nice yield, it was not Triple. And I'm saying to myself, but the Torah says, if you follow the laws of Shemitah, you're going to get triple. Is it possible that the man will not fall on Friday? So the, the Rekli Akar says, you don't understand what the Pasuk is talking about. If they told you that there's going to be a triple yield, that's not the case. We always learned it in school that it's quantitative. If you had 100, the field's going to produce 300. Says the Rav, no. It's not quantitatively a blessing, it is qualitatively a blessing. What does that mean? It's going to produce the same hundred. But you know what? You ever in America, they say, the money stretches? The guy can't understand it. He said, I don't understand. I made the same amount of money this year. And Baruch Hashem, I have excess, I have extra. Sometimes you can have a blessing in your money. And the money goes longer, and you have, yeah, 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 you have, and sometimes there's not berachah in the money, and yet at the end of the month, you say, I don't know where my money went, I don't know where my money's going to over there. I made the same money as last year, I can't afford anything, I'm in the red. That means it's not enough to make money, you want a berachah, and by the way, what does God say? Visiviti it berchati, I will command my blessing in the money, which means, I'll just give you a simple example, mathematics. Let's say, on a normal year, it takes you to become satiated to eat three slices of pizza. I know people like that. They don't get satiated until they eat at least three, maybe even half a pie. Now imagine in Shemitah year, that after you eat one slice, you say, wow, I don't understand. And your wife says, I don't understand what's going on. You on a diet? I'm not on a diet. I can't, I come from stuff. But you normally eat three slices. I don't know. I, I can't eat any. I'm, 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 by the way, I'm more full from the one side. That's what he says is going to happen. 
there's going to be a beracha in the food that you'll be able to eat less and still have the same satiation that you were having during the subsequent years. And therefore you'll be able to eat one slice in the sixth year, one slice in the seventh year, one slice in the eighth year, but it's the same meal. And then he proves it from the text. Listen how beautiful he proves it. Look at the language, gentlemen. Let me see if you can figure this one out. He says, the Pasuk writes, I will command my blessing in the sixth year. Now look at the language. The Tivu'ah. You ever learn grammar, boys? Whenever you have a hair in front of a word, it's called hair hayidi'ah. The in the grammar they're called the definitive the definitive article. Okay, forget about that. Hayidi'ah. The hayidi'ah is the the hair of distinction, which means what? When I say ha, I'm referring to something that we know already. Specific item. It doesn't say ve'asa. That would mean that it's going to produce three years of quantitative tivua. But say no, the same tivua that the field was producing, the tivua that you're familiar with. The tivua that you know good and well. That tivua, the tivua. You know what that tivua is going to produce? Three years worth. How? It's going to be the same tivuah, but it's going to have a, a beracha. So he's learning, Kliyakar, that it indeed it's Shabbat Hashem. It's a sabbatical for God, because it's definitely a religiously motivated service. And therefore, uh, the Kliyakar understands it, that it's all about Imunah. Now, some of you will say, <laughs> but we're not farmers. We're businessmen. The principles do not change. Whether you're receiving man from heaven, whether you're working in the Shemron on a vineyard, or whether you're on Fifth Avenue, or whether you're selling widgets on Amazon, the same principles of Imunah apply that Panasa comes from Kadosh Baruch Hu. And no matter what efforts you're going to put on your own, you must always recognize the Beracha is from Hashem. Now, I will just give you an example of this. Many years ago, we were on a Pesach trip, and I heard the following story from Mr. Ralph Tower. He was a great philanthropist of our community, a great tzaddik. So he told me, he said, listen, Rabbi, don't believe anybody that tells you that they're making money, that they know what they're doing. But for a rich man like that to say it, you listen with two ears, because you'd expect a guy like that to say, oh, I went, I bought, I sold, and he's coming to say it's all nonsense. So he gave us an example. He said, one time he was, at the, he was in Turnberry, he was in the pool, and the guy came to me and said, Ralph, I got a stock for you, on a small cap. So okay, what's the symbol? A, B, C, D. He said, what did you hear about it? Inside information, it's going to move. Now, small cap, even if it moves a couple of cents, you have a lot of shares, you make a lot of money. He calls a stockbroker, the stock boy tells him, I want my million shares. Of, what's the symbol? He tells him, B, C, D, E. B, C, D, E. What do you know about it? I don't know nothing about it. I heard a tip in the pool today. 
Fine. He buys the millions. All of a sudden, he created movement on the stock. He himself created the movement because people don't know why all of a sudden a guy's buying a million shares. As a matter of fact, the, the CEO of the company called him and said, what do you know about my company that I don't know about that you're buying a million shares about? He said, I got a tip. Tell me the tip. I'm, I'm running the company. I don't know what the tip is. Anyway, to his, uh, to his credit, the stock moved up. He was able to sell and make a hefty profit. A few days later, he sees the same guy in the pool, and uh, he tells him, listen, Hazaku Baruch, fantastic, unbelievable, that was the best tip I ever got. He said, what are you talking about? He says, the, the, the stock uh, did nothing. As a matter of fact, it went down a couple of uh, cents. He said, what are you talking about? He said, I bought the, what symbol did you buy? B, C, D, E. I told you, A, B, C, D. Now, can a guy come along and say, oh, look how smart I am? I'm so smart that I have a bad memory and I made a mistake and then you can take credit for that. So he says, that's the way it works. And Hashem shows that. I was speaking to one of the big bakeries in the community. Big baker. And he tells me, uh, I was talking to him about different products that he sells. So I mentioned one item that I know is a, is a bestseller. I see it at all the weddings. I, I said, this item over there, you got to tell me how you fell into this item. He says, Rabbi, you're not going to believe it. We were making a certain type of cake and we messed up the ingredients and this thing came out. <laughs> and, and it was there ready. We had to serve it. Turns out that people went berserk for it and that becomes, that means we entered it from the back door. We had no intention to make this item. Now, God does it on purpose. Now, God could have made it that they figured it out themselves. But why does God do that a lot in business? That a lot of the great things you're going to accomplish will happen, the mistake, and as a result of this, and you entered it from the back end, because God wants to remind you, it's nothing to do with you. It's all Borei Olam. The blessing is from HaKadosh Baruch. And you look at some of the major inventions in science. I think they say penicillin was a mistake. He left the Petri dish open one night and forgot to close it. The next day came, hey, the thing is, uh, the mold is, uh, you know, producing. And all of a sudden, I could come along and say, oh, what a genius I am. You made a mistake. You should have been fired. It turned out that that mistake ends up saving millions of people. And you see it more times than not. And God does that on purpose. And again, I don't have as many stories as you have. You people are in business. So you probably see it, you know, Every, every single day, how this was. I just, I'm not a businessman, but I know it. The hand of God runs, runs Panasa. I will just tell you one personal story. And again, my stories are not so great because I'm not a businessman at the end of the day. About 30 years ago, when I got married, I'm a Kolel guy. I'm still a Kolel guy. And my, my salary was, uh, Ahayezid used to pay me uh, $500 every two weeks. I thought I was a rich man. Uh, I didn't even know what to do. What am I doing? A thousand bucks. When I got married, I realized that I was really a poor man. (laughs) (laughs) That money's not going to support me. So I told my wife, I said, you know what? If we're going to live a life like this of Torah, we're not going to, we cannot rely on, you know, the shul check. Uh, We have to do something as a sideline. It was my vacation during the summer. And me and my wife said, you know what? We're going to drive to the Javits Center. They had like a home show where they give you ideas. You know, you can sell stuff at home and stuff like that. I said, we have to make our effort. We were in deal. We, had, we were talking about this for two months. We got the badges. And now Sunday morning I went to shul. We're going to drive to the city 
And we're going to go look around, see maybe we can figure out something where we can supplement our panasa, a home business. Mm-hmm. My word of honor. And you have to know, in those days, I would drive to Brooklyn every day. Because the Kolel was in Brooklyn. So I used to drive in Brooklyn every day, come back. So I'm used to driving every day. That Sunday morning, I went to shul, get in the car, with gung-ho, praying to God that God should show us the way. I get to the light on Mammoth Road at the college. It's one of the longest lights in, in uh, and I think it's still red. <laughs> anyway, I get there. I get there. It's a red light, of course. And all of a sudden, a slumber comes on me. Probably like the slumber that Hashem put on Adam and Ishan before he created Hava. It was like somebody put weights on my eyelids. And there's no way I can even open my eyes. So I'm telling you, so I said, I don't know what's going on. I can't even open my eyes. I said, you're kidding? I said, what are you talking about? We didn't, even, not even, we didn't even drive a quarter of a mile yet. I said, I don't know. You didn't sleep extra late last night. You had your coffee. I can't explain it. There's no way. I'm not going to be able to make it to the gas station. Forget about it. To, to, to the city. We got to make a U-turn. What? We've been talking about. I wish I tell you. I, I can't. I can't. Forget about it. I, can't, I need to go into bed and sleep. Which is very unconventional of me. That's not my, my normal derech. She's all upset. She's, this we were talking. So you want to drive, sir? You can drive. No, I can't drive? Okay. I'll make the U-turn. True story. I come back to my father-in-law's house. I love a shalom. 45 Jerome. Right around the block. This story cannot be made up. My wife will verify. My father-in-law is standing on the porch. We pull back into the driveway. He says, I was waiting for you to come back. Wow. You know, it's almost as if like he had a voodoo doll. <laughs> and he was like, he was playing around over there in the kitchen. And now, when, I, when, I, when he comes back, he says to the following words, he says, what did you think, you're going to go there and sell widgets? This is what he, that was his language. You're going to sell widgets? Come sit at the kitchen table. Sit at the kitchen table. My father-in-law, Allah Vashem, at the time, was in the furniture business. And he came along and says, listen, there's one thing that every single person in this community and in this country needs, and that's a bed. Unless you're homeless. But that's not my customer anyway. So he says, I have connections in the furniture business. Congratulations. Tells my wife, I'm putting you into business. You're going to be a, 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 a mattress a, a saleswoman. Call up the, uh, uh, the cards, the guy to make business cards. My father-in-law, my wife says, well, should we name the business? You will call it mattresses for less. People like to hear the word for less. You're getting a discount. Go make cards. And starting on that day, my wife, went to bed. 30 years later, my wife is still in that business. Now, can I come along and say, look how smart I am. I got ice. And nothing to do with it. I was going to the job and said that Shem put a slumber on me. My father-in-law, I don't know how he's a prophet. He understood that that's going to happen. And he was waiting with the idea. And he puts my wife into business. And that business, thank God, was able to... Uh, she became successful. I mean, she gives me my allowance every week still. But <laughs> I have no problem. I'm not, I'm, I don't have any pride. I don't have any pride. I don't care where I get my allowance. So she gives me $50 a week. That's all I need. I don't have, I'm not a high-maintenance guy that time. $50 a week, I can live very well. But the point is, look at the Berachav. And that's how it works 
Always in person. So nobody can come. People come to me. Oh, how'd you think of it? How'd I think of it? Yeah, yeah. I thought of nothing. I didn't think of it at all. A zero credit. The credit belongs only to the creator. So that's the way the Kliyaka is saying. And everybody in their business always has to remember. Go to work. Work hard. Of course, you know, follow the laws. You have to be diligent. You can't be lazy. We know all that. But at the end of the day... You have to remember that you're not really part of the equation too much. Really what's happening, the panasa is ultimately coming from the Moret. That's the Nyan of Emuna. That's the way Kliyakar explains. However, there is yet a deeper interpretation that I will conclude with that I think is uh, fascinating. And this is what the Me'or Vashem is saying. He says, listen, the law of Shemitah is a tikkun, is a rectification. What happened on page one in Bereshit. Everything's got to go back to Bereshit. What happened? He says, God creates Adam. He creates the earth first. Everything was created before Adam. Adam is created at the end. After Adam was created, it says, God sent a cloud over the earth and it rained. It says that was a result of Adam's prayer. Adam prayed and all of a sudden, immediately, vegetation grew without any of Adam's work. The original plan was that the earth will just produce naturally. All Adam Arishon has to say is, the rain will fall and the berakah will happen by itself. That's the way it worked until he ate from the tree. And we know that because after he ate from the tree, what did God say? Oh, now, now you know what's going to come out of the ground? Not wheat and barley, thorns and thistles. And now you're going to have to work the ground. The land is going to be cursed on account of you. And now, now if you want to eat bread, by the sweat of your brow. Which means, no longer is Adam able to go to the field and just wake up and uh, you know, cut the ready-made uh, uh, product. That's from, now, to get a loaf of bread, you have to go through the 11 processes that the Gemara Shabbat says. Choresh, Zoreya, Kotzer, Me'amer, Dash, Zore, Bore, Berakir, Tochen, Lash, Ofer. <laughs> By that time, you already lost your appetite. You have to go through <coughs> all the 11 preparations to get a loaf of bread, which was not the original plan. So God says, I want to bring the world back to that rectification where the ground is going to produce by itself. When did that rectification take place? The world reached the level of Adam Rishon before the sin. At what was the location? Har Sinai. Don't give it away. Don't give it away. Keep it under your hat. At Har Sinai, 
we reach the level of Adam Rishon before the sin. It says over there in Zora Kadosh, Rosh Shabbat says it as well, Paska Zohamatan. Zohama is like a, a poison, a venom that was in us from this snake. And when were we uh, relieved from that Zohama? At Har Sinai. At that point, God says, Ani Amarti Elohim Atem. We became like angels, we reached the highest, highest madrigot at Han Sinai. So the plan was like this. Again, I'm sorry to tell you, plans sometimes don't work out like they're supposed to. The Egil came in and snafu'd everything. But put Egil on the side. This was what's supposed to happen. Says Me'or Vashemesh. It was supposed to be Har Sinai. You get to the level before Adam Adam Rishon. You get to Adam Kodem Ahed. Now the next stop on the train was Har Sinai. You're going to get to Israel. And you know what was supposed to happen in Israel? The land is going to produce fruit like it produced for Adam Rishon. No work. That's what's supposed to happen. That's the goal. But, Bore Olam says that in order to activate that birachah that will be perpetual forever, you need to work the land for six years l'shem shamayim. Once B'nai Yisrael would work the land l'shem shamayim for six years, that's it. The land would now be on autopilot forever, and therefore the land would produce by itself forever. Problem, it didn't happen. Because again, Haita Egel got involved. But now read the pasuk of what the plan was. At Har Sinai, when we reach that level of Adam Rishon before the sin, so God says, speak to the people of Hashem. You know what's going to happen? You will not have to work anymore. God is telling us initially the goal. The goal is when you get to Israel is no more agricultural work. The land will cease. It's going to be a sabbatical for God. But to activate this, you have to work for the first six years and that's it. And then what's going to happen? In the seventh year, Shabbat, Shabbaton, Shabbat, and then what? Specifically in that year, you're going to have more food than ever. Because the food, the, 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 the land is going to produce it. By itself. And that's why it keeps says, You'll be able to eat ready-made. Donuts are going to grow from the ground. It's going to be ready, ready-made food. It's going to be there just to eat for the taking. But again, since that did not happen, because by the time we... So really, the way they're learning in the Mikubalim, the way they're learning this parasha is this is, was a... Uh, was a... Exactly. It was a goal or was some sort of, uh, 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 you know, uh, 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 first thought that God had. But it never materialized, not because God couldn't have done it, only because we 
Again, we got in the way with Chetayegin. That explains Har Sinai. That explains why it introduces, you're going to get to Israel and it's going to be Shabbat Hashem. Because that's the goal that we're going to reach you. It can only happen of six years of work. Once you get to the seventh year, Lechol, 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 you're going to eat. Everything be ready. But the lesson for us, Rabotai, is Emunah Betahon. There's a study that I read, and I'll back it up with a, a story. We'll call it a night. There was once a big rabbi. We had a fish on the table. There's a custom that's good as he have to eat fish on Shabbat. Syrians don't have fish so much on Shabbat for the simple reason in Aleppo, where many of us come from, there was no water. There's no water. So therefore we, by the way, look in the Syrian cookbook, there's not too many recipes for fish. We eat fish, but it's not, it's not a big Syrian item. Go to Morocco, however, they'll serve you eight fish on Shabbat because they live on the Mediterranean. So therefore it all depends where we came from. But it is a mitzvah to have fish on Shabbat if, you, if it's available. Why? Many reasons were given. Some say dag, dalit, gimalik, well seven, which is the seventh day of the week. Dag, biyom, dag. But I saw a beautiful explanation. And it goes like this. Rabbi had a fish on the table, uh, raw fish. Students were around him. The rabbi took a knife and he slit the belly of the fish and he, he opened it up. And he told the students, what do you see? So we see small fish in the big fish. It means the big fish eats the small fish. Very good. Very, uh, very, intu- very, 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 you have good observation. But what else do you notice? They said, well, we noticed something very strange, Rabbi. It seems that the small fish swam into the big fish head first. Because the head of the small fish is by the tail of the big fish, which is kind of strange. We would assume that the big fish would catch the small fish from the tail. But it seems like it just swam head first. Why? The rabbi said, I'll tell you exactly what happens. Remember a rule. Where you trust God, God will never fail you. Where you trust yourself, you'll always fall. The small fish makes a deal with God. He says, listen, God, I have eyes in front of me. So I don't need you in front of me because I can see. I need you to get my, to have my back. I need you to protect me from my tail. You understand what the small fish says? So God says, where you trust me, you'll never get eaten from your tail. And where you trust yourself, you'll always swim right into the big fish. Because you thought you don't need me over there. That's why the small fish falls into the big fish. It reminds you, put your trust in God for everything. And that's why we eat fish on Shabbat, because the guy says, how am I going to take off on Shabbat? i got to make business. Put your trust in God. Look at the fish. The small fish went into the big fish. That's a lesson that he didn't trust. That's why he got eaten up. And then I tell you about the study that I read when I conclude. It was maybe by the AAA, the Automobile Association. The stat was that, God forbid, most accidents car accidents, that is, take place within five miles of a person's home. Which to me, I thought that was a big hadush. I would think, you know, five miles, we know the neighborhood. Usually accidents on the road, you're traveling. But they, they, they explain it because within five miles of the house, there's congestion. And 
you're, you're less careful because you think you know the roads, therefore you don't pay attention to them. They gave a logical reason to it, whatever they said. But I have a different reason. You know what the reason is? When you're leaving your house and you tell your grandmother, I'm driving upstate 300 miles to wherever. What does your grandmother tell you? Alamak. God be with you. Don't forget to say to Because you know you need God. But if you told your grandmother, I'm going to Norwood Avenue, get a pizza. Does she say, God be with you. Give me a slide. Give me a falafel. What would she tell you? So therefore, because when it comes to local driving, you say, I don't need God for that. That's where you're going to mess up. But on the, when you go on a long trip, then everybody's, oh, you need God. So God says again, where you put your faith, that's where I will protect you. And where you trust your own skill and talent and prowess, that's where you're going to mess up. And that's the same thing that happens in business. doesn't mean we're saying to our members, don't go to work. Of course not. Torah says you've got to go to work six days, six years. But the point is, you can't get fooled by the facade of it. It looks like it's you, but Shemitah reminds you you broke every rule in the book. And that's what really COVID taught us. We broke every rule in the book. We didn't go to work, we didn't do anything, and somehow the Panasah still can, and some people even figured out a way to make more money by staying home than going to work. And that reminds us even when you're going to work, you always have to put your trust in the Boreh. And when you put your trust in the Boreh, then God brings the Berakah. The Berakah doesn't always come quantitatively. Sometimes it comes qualitatively. That you could be making the same amount of money, but no doctor bills that year, thank God. And the refrigerator doesn't break that year. And you don't got to pay the plumber because a pipe person. All of a sudden you have a little extra money in your pocket to do other things that you want. That's a Berakah in your money. You made the same amount, but there was more to go around. So although... The technical law of Shemitah, that we're going to have to leave for the Sadiqim and the Shomron that are still keeping it with all its details today, Ashrem Yisrael. But the lessons of Shemitah, you don't got to be a farmer for them to apply. My blessing is to our members that Borei Olam should give us the Berakah, Osher v'chavod, me'ata v'ad olam, amen, kenyan.